Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. We are in our Reclaim series, and today we are reclaiming paradigms. The question for you to get started with today is, what's the defining moment in your life? Enjoy. As we've been in the Gospel of Luke, we've been talking about the idea of reclaiming some things. There's a lot of people that even if you're choosing to come to a church like New Abbey, it's probably because there's been some disorientation in your life. There's been some deconstruction. There's a world that you grew up in, and this is how it all looks, and this is what it means to be a Christian, and this is what it means to follow Jesus, and these are the creeds, and these are the dogmas, and this is how you read the Bible, and these are the things you do. Anyone been there? There we go. And now you're like, well, interestingly enough, in Los Angeles in 2018, some of those things aren't working for me. And we say it in here all the time, you don't have to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Sometimes what happens in deconstruction is we feel like everything is in chaos, we're throwing everything up in the air, and guess what? Some of it's going to land, and it's going to look different because it just landed splat, right? And you're going to pick some different things up, and you say, you know what? That actually still works for me. I think I can actually do Jesus in spirit, in God, in church, in faith, in a place like Los Angeles in 2018. It's going to look very different than what that was over there. I'm going to have to redefine some things. Because when I say Jesus, it's not that now, it's this, right? When I say faith, it's not not that now, it's this. When I say church, it's not all those other stereotypes that came with it of you look a certain way and it's this kind of exclusivity and you got to be homogenous here and did you learn the Iwanas versus my friends, right? It will not be any of that. It will be something a little bit, there's some like guilty laughing that they're like, yeah, I went through that. It's going to be a little bit different. So we're reconstructing some things now. We're reclaiming some things. And as we're in the Gospel of Luke today, I just want to reclaim this idea of life. And that life always seems to find a way. And that because life is always finding a way from a universal perspective all the way to us as individuals, then how do we practically do something about our lives as we're reclaiming it and reconstructing it? So we're going to read the Gospel of Luke. Follow along with me. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain. Nain? Nain. I was very, I like half committed to what I was going to say there. And then it turned a little German. Nain. Yeah. Jesus, big German fan, that guy. And his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out. The only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. So we got to pause here all of a sudden. If you're one of the earlier readers of these stories, or if you live in Jesus' day, you immediately are cueing yourself into what's actually happening. You're cueing yourself into the stories of Elijah from 1 Kings and Elisha from 2 Kings. And for a lot of us here, we just don't live with that context deep within us. We don't know the Bible always in the same way uh, that that they did back in the day. Because we just have different events in our history that cue in for us, right? Vietnam, World War II, where were you on 9-11? When did you see Meghan Markle come out with her dress? Like you have these moments, right? You remember these parts of your life. And in the ancient world, they had these stories as well that they identified with and that they understood. And so they knew that there was a, pro- a, a prophet named Elijah and a prophet named Elisha, right, who also met a widow 
whose son was dying at a gate. And so you're like, oh, I see what's going on here. They're trying to say there's a new prophet in town. They're trying to say, oh, this guy's like Elijah and this guy's like Elisha, but maybe something else is going on here. It's cueing you on into the nuances and the subtleties of what's going on in the text to say, now if you remember those stories, and those are some weird stories, by the way, we're not going to get into it now, particularly like the Elisha one in 2 Kings. Like when you read it, like Elijah gets on the dead boy and it's like he puts his hands on his hands and his other hand is on his other hands and his like feet on his feet. And he's like breathing into his, it's a weird story. Like, so if you want a little, like, toilet reading later, feel free to go to 2 Kings. I believe it's chapter 12. So, when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. And then he went up and touched the buyer they were carrying him on, and the bearers stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, get up. And the dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. This also happens in the Elijah and the Elisha stories. Not only is there a widow... Not only is there this woman who meets Jesus at the gate, but her son dies. And the prophets Elijah and Elisha help resurrect this dead boy. And so you're like, oh, Jesus is living into another narrative. But with everything with Jesus, it's about now, how is this narrative going to get bigger? So yeah, you know these stories. Well, now Jesus is going to live into these stories. And how is Jesus going to make this a bigger story for now what it means to be human? Uh, And those are the deeper questions that we have to ask ourselves, that we ask very uninteresting questions about Jesus when we're trying to like ontologically prove that Jesus was the Christ and the Son of God 2,000 years ago. And if I put my apologetics notebook on, then you're going to know that Jesus too was, that's not the point of any of it. We did all that stuff later because of our insecurities and about culture progressing. This is a story saying, yeah, there's a Jesus. This Jesus did amazing things. And this is a story about your humanity. So what does this say about God? And what does this say about you? And how do you live in the intersection of the reality of this story? Not, can you quote all the Bible verses? It's not the point. The point is, how does this actually shape and change and move your life? Now that's compelling. And those are the things that we want to get into when we look at these Jesus stories. So they were all filled with awe and praised God. And a great prophet had appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. And this news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. So that's the story. But if we're going to work with the story, then we've got to do some things. If we're going to reclaim life, then we've got to talk about some stuff. And so we're going to talk about old paradigms and new paradigms. We're going to talk about Roseanne Barr, because, you know, she said some shit. Uh, we're going to talk about some heretics. Oh, we're going to get into what Roseanne Barr, if you don't know what that says. That's some crazy stuff, right? We're going to talk about the Muggletonians, because everybody's favorite sect of Protestantism in the 17th century, am I right? Great. Uh, This is not Harry Potter I'm talking about here, right? We're going to get into a Bill Gates reading list because it always comes out in May, and if you're not reading something on the Bill Gates reading list, then there's some great things you should be doing with your summer. Uh, We're going to talk about the universal level and then the ground level and how that fits together, and then we're going to talk about how life finds a way. Then are we talking about care? Are we talking about chance? How awe is always an appropriate response. And then if we can do that, we're going to talk about some bears and then my orange huffy. And you know what kind of bears I'm talking about as well. Great. Perfect. Here we go. So, some old paradigms. In the story, there's a few things that are happening, not only in the Jesus story, but also in the Elijah and the Elisha story. Some of the things that are happening is that Israel is constantly being occupied. Israel is this group of people who's being oppressed. So imagine this complex that you have as as Jews and the Israelites and as the Hebrews for thousands of years. Your complex is this. You had the divine show up to you, make covenant with you, say, I'm always going to be with you. And then since that moment, you have been dominated by every superpower the world has ever seen. It's a complicated story all of a sudden. 
And yet, even from an anthropological and sociological perspective, you are the only religious people group, ethnic group, on planet Earth that after being dominated by any superpower, let alone seven of them over history, you still maintain your faith. That's interesting. Because every other people group, historically we know, that when their gods beat your gods, you start to worship their gods now. That's just the way it works but not for Jews, not for the Hebrew people, not for what the Old Testament and New Testament is trying to show us about what's going on here. So what happens now is all of a sudden you have this people group and at this point they're being oppressed by the Roman Empire. And when the Elijah and the Elisha story is going on, they're being, they're being oppressed by a different superpower. So that's where the narrative is really important here. It's important to take it seriously and not so literally. Seriously what's going on is you're a people group who God is trying to do blessing through, but you know what you feel like? You feel like a people group who's at the end of the line. You feel like you're a people group where God can do nothing else with you. And how is this story going to move forward from here? And even if you're not Jewish, how many of us have felt that way? Can life move on from here? Is there going to be any other way forward? I can't see out of this. This feels like a dead end. And that's where the narrative is. There's a widow right? She doesn't have a husband anymore in the ancient world. And in the ancient world, it's patriarchal. I apologize for all that stuff, right? She does not have an economic sense of moving forward. She has one son, and this son is now going to die. And now is dead. It's basically like saying, there is no hope, there is no future, there is no way forward for you. And there's many of us who felt that way. And for the Jews at this time, 2,000 years ago, they feel this way. And so when this story comes along, they're like, yeah, we know what that's like. We can empathize with the, what this widow is going through. And then Jesus comes along. And Jesus shows that there's, oh, there's always a way forward. That for God, there's always a way forward how, how life manages to kind of work itself out. And that sometimes we don't feel that way. Sometimes we send ourselves to Vietnam, am I right? And somehow life works itself out in a new way. But also what's going on in the story is there's this reality for Jesus that there's some old paradigms that the Hebrews are working with that Jesus wants to change. Because just like us, there's these old paradigms where you keep talking about God in this box. Like quite literally back in the day, God was in a temple, all right? And what Jesus is trying to show is God is not trying to be found in a temple because the whole thing's a temple. Jesus is constantly trying to break down literal barriers and literal walls that would prevent us from knowing ourselves fully and knowing God fully. And so old paradigms need to die. In fact, some things should die. That's okay so that new paradigms can come forward. This story is a foreshadowing in some way of you do not get Sunday and resurrection if you don't go through Friday and crucifixion. You have to let some things die off so that you can experience some new things that are going to go ahead forward. So there's this setup, right? There's these subtleties that are going on in the text that are saying some old paradigms got to die out. Because this, imagine this, this kid, right? When he gets resurrected into new life, you're not going to go back and live into like your old ways of things, right? There, there's this sense of something's going to be different about my life as I move forward in this imperfect process. I mean, you just got like resurrected from the dead. I would imagine that's going to do something for you right? Like, do you ever think about that? Like, I kind of, like, laughed to myself. I, like, I spent way too long at a coffee shop thinking through these scenarios, like, this week about, like, what was it like for, like, the dead boy being resurrected again? You know, like, what is he putting on his college application? Like, everyone else was like, oh, I was an Eagle Scout. I got a 4.3. I rose again from the dead. Like, you know, like, it's really puts you out there in front of everybody, and I kind of like that. 
And so there's this new paradigm that Jesus is trying to allow us to enter into. One is, again, the reality that these things need to die, and then how do we move forward into something that's new? And this is the story of all of history. There's always new paradigms that are ahead. Uh, a lot of times I get into conversations with people who come into this community, and they'll be talking about this idea of, like, I'm deconstructing these things, but I still have, like, people in my life who, like, think I'm, like, the heretic. Anyone been there, right? Think I'm, like, the apostate. I'm just misusing the Bible, I'm doing whatever. Yeah, there's some like uncomfortable twitching going on here in this room. And here's what I say to people. History will not judge you as the heretic. Who is always judged as the heretic throughout all of history, and don't believe me, go read a book on this, is always the conservative groups who want to control power, right? It's always the groups of people who are like, the Crusades are a great idea, right? We're like, let's go on the witch hunt. It's ironic to me that the Pharisees and the Sadducees are not around anymore, right? And that we have a group of people who look and act like Pharisees and Sadducees, right? For the way that they love scripture, the way that they use it, abuse it, and make it a tool of oppression over other people. And they can't see, Jesus isn't talking about Pharisees and Sadducees 2,000 years ago. Jesus is talking about you. Because in history, there will always be conservative groups that do not want to move forward into, into progress, into what's next, into where humanity is actually going. And I don't mean conservative and progressive in a political statement. Conservative, I mean it in, in the truest, purest sense of what it is. You're trying to conserve something from the past. And you're saying, I'm terrified and I'm fearful of this thing changing and moving forward, right? We see this all over planet Earth right now. We have this huge like upswelling of nationalism and fascism. Like we're terrified that the world is getting smaller and we don't want to go there. And then there's a whole nother group of young people like the world's getting smaller, obviously. Like this is where we're going. And the world is at odds with these things right now. So if you're terrified about where history is going, know that history doesn't tend to judge the progress that's going on. History almost always judges the people who are trying to hold you back from moving forward. And that's like a relief for me. A hundred years from now, they're going to look back at this time and place in Christianity in America where the church is dying at an 8% rate every five years. And the part of the church that continues to stay around is just doubling down in certain levels of conservatism. And it's not matching up for real life in a place like Los Angeles in 2018. And so I think when we come to a story like this, it's that Jesus is resurrecting the boy into a new paradigm, not into an old paradigm that existed before. And how do I know that? Because the rest of Jesus's ministry is one of progress. The rest of Jesus's ministry, the world that this young boy will live into, is a reality where there's no more boundaries. It's a reality where there's a new kind of kingdom, and this kingdom isn't limited by how far the Roman Empire goes, or where the walls and the borders are of the United States of America, or anything along those lines, right? Even Paul will pick up this mantle and say, this new reality, there's neither male nor female, right? There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor master. We would say today, there's neither black nor white. There's neither rich nor poor. There's neither gay nor straight. We're changing the paradigms. This thing is always progressing and moving forward. So let old things die and be resurrected into a new paradigm, into a new reality where this thing gets bigger than it ever was before. And if you're worried about people judging you on that, just know that history tends to favor progress. It doesn't tend to favor uh, conservative ideas being landlocked in time. So the Bill Gates reading list goes a little bit like this, is that every year I like to look at it, it comes out about May, and there's a book that came out this year that's just been blowing my mind thinking about like how do we map the world. And it's called Origin Story, A Big History of Everything. 
And as I'm reading it this year, and like I'm almost done with it, and I'm like loving every little bit of it, it connects really well with another book that's on the Bill Gates reading list called Sapiens, which is all about like what does it mean to be like a homo sapien? How do we understand our last 200,000 years of history and living, growing, and evolving? And how do we have consciousness now? And like where are we going? And like kind of like Black Mirror on Netflix, like at what point like is technology going to be like embedded into our brains? Like come on, people! Like you know, this is good stuff. Breathe. Uh, and then it fits with another book that I really love called A Brief History of Everything by a guy named Ken Wilber, which Richard Rohr and Rob Bell led me on to. And then it fits with another book that I really loved by a guy named Dan Brown, who writes a lot of, like, I think, really fun summer fiction that he just came out called the book of, or it's called Origins. And what I'm interested in is I'm reading all these different books from these different authors from different disciplines is, isn't it fascinating that we have these prophets, so to speak, who can see something different in the 21st century that we couldn't see in the 20th century? In the 20, 20th century, we had this divide. There's like science and reason, and there's like religion. And now in the 21st century, we're like, no, nah, we're not going to play in that world anymore. It's not black or white. In fact, we can have spirituality, and we can have God, and we can have faith, and we can still like not believe in like a zoo boat, right? That was like a literal thing. Or we can like believe that like scriptures are trying to t uh, tell us something serious about truth and not literal about truth. Like we can work ourselves into some nuances of what's actually happening. We don't have to play by the games anymore. If I, if I don't believe this thing in this box, then I guess I don't really believe anything at all. No, we're not going to play by those rules. You can have it both. There can be a Venn diagram. And in fact, we know statistically speaking that over 50% of the population in a place like Los Angeles County is deeply spiritual, and yet only 18% of that population actually goes to church. So the spiritual population is growing by numbers by the day, and the religious church institution population is decreasing by the day. So what's going on there? And you have these brilliant authors talking about the biggest possible maps of history on planet Earth who are saying, maybe there is a way that you can connect all of these dots, and maybe there's a way that we can understand our origin story in another way, and that there's still room for God or the divine or spirituality. And that gets me excited. The part that's interesting to me is that those leading thoughts are not like coming from Christianity a lot of times that they're coming from the outside. But then that's not too crazy for me because God is often found in the most God-forsaken spaces, so to speak. That in the Bible, God often shows up on the outside and that's where God ends up showing some of the most unique and interesting places that history is moving towards. And a great example of that is Jesus. Jesus didn't show up in the middle of the religious institution. Jesus is resurrecting this young boy into a new paradigm. He's not resurrecting him back into like the temple worship sphere and understanding of life that the boy probably grew up in. So with that, let's talk Muggletonians, everybody's favorite 17th century Protestant group. The Muggletonians were kind of really nervous because uh, in, in, this, in 1651, what was going on? Actually, do we have that quote up there? I missed Roseanne Barr. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> we'll come. We're going to come back to Roseanne, guys. We're not going to let that happen. Muggletonians, uh, there, there's a guy who was a shoemaker in 1651, and, and he said that God said this to me, I've chosen thee my last message for a great work unto this bloody, unbelieving world. Very hopeful words. Uh, God said, according to Reeve, and I have given thee Lodewick Muggleton to be thy mouth. That was his cousin. And the Muggletonians existed for the next 300 years. That they believed that the world was progressing and moving too fast, and that the Bible was being questioned, and there was heresy that was going on out there, and that there were people who were believing that the earth was no longer the center of the universe. How dare they, right? But that train left the station, and that the church for hundreds of years fought this reality. That no, 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 the Bible says that the earth is the center of the universe, so this must be the case. The Bible cannot be wrong until the Bible was wrong, because that's not what the Bible was trying to do in the first place. 
And so the Muggletonians developed these beautiful maps. We've got a map here for you of kind of what does the universe look like? And these are all the sun and the stars that are all moving through these like little slots over this dome that's going on in the earth. And that's how we see light and what's going on. People, this is like 200 years ago, right? And they held this belief for hundreds of years, fighting against the reality of where progress is going, fighting against the reality of new paradigms. But we live in a world now where we see and know the universe in a brand new way. Imagine this, up until about 50 years ago, we never had anyone leave the confines of this planet. And that there was lots of people who doubted the fact that when the Russians went to space, do you know the first thing that they said? We don't see God here. Because imagine they've been living in this world where we actually don't know what's on the other side of this biosphere. But now that we're here, we're realizing, oh my gosh, we're gonna map this thing in a whole new way. There's a whole new paradigm for how we understand planet Earth and what it means to be human and where we're going. And we've actually escaped this planet and that's like happened in recent years. And most of us take that for granted because for thousands of years, there's been Muggletonians who are trying to say, do not go there. If you go there, that's heresy. If you go there, it's hell in a handbox. If you go there, it's gonna be a slippery slope. If you go there, like there's just gonna be these like deployments horrible things that are going on. Has anyone ever heard that? Right? If you go there, it's all going to fall apart. Guess what? We've gone there. Guess what? We've resurrected from those points of view. We've woken up from those old paradigms and the world is still okay and we can still make sense of it moving forward into a new universe. So I just want to talk about a brief history of everything really quick. What time is it? I got time for this. Great. Huh? <sighs> I'm going to come back to Roseanne Barr. Keep holding me accountable to that, okay? <laughs> Keep holding me accountable to that. Man, I don't even know where I'm going to go from here. Great, the Big Bang Theory. Everything I'm going to say to you, we're just going to divide it by a billion. This is from the book that I just talked about, uh, Origin Story and everything that's going on. But hopefully it gives you a perspective of what's happening in the entire universe. Hopefully it gives you a perspective of here's how massive time is, right? And here's where we're at in time. And can you believe that the world is moving this rapidly fast? And like, we're just barely at the very end piece of time right now. We're not the end times. That's really weird. Uh, an end piece of time right now where we're understanding and waking up to even what the universe could possibly be. And how does that work with Jesus? This stuff like gets me excited people and I like geek out to it. So let's just cover all of history. 13.8 billion years ago, there was a big bang but we're gonna make this, we're gonna use some math that's gonna make us understand it a little bit better. We're gonna divide everything by a billion so that you can put yourself into the story in a little bit more reasonable way. Big Bang, 13.8 billion years ago. Divide that by a billion, 13 years and nine months ago, everything came into existence. The first stars begin to illuminate in the universe, 13.6 billion years ago. Divide that by a billion, 13.5 years ago. 13 years ago in five months, right? All the stars begin to illuminate in the universe. Fast forward a little bit further in time, our solar system and the sun begin to form 4.5 billion years ago. Divide that by a billion, four years and six months ago, our solar system and sun came into existence. There's a big gap of time right here, which is incredibly important because of gravity and because of matter and because of the elements that we had, we needed a few different life cycles of supernovas to happen so that we have enough elements in the universe that we have now so that eventually we could have biological life. Without this massive period of seven or eight billion years going on, we would never be to where we're at now. There's some old paradigms that even had to happen in the history of the universe so that we could eventually get to some new paradigms 
times like life that are going to take place, right? 3.8 billion years ago, we had the first single cell organisms that appear on planet Earth. Divide that by a billion, that's three years and nine months ago we saw the first life appear on planet Earth. We're going to fast forward that even more. 600 million years ago, we see the first complex and big organisms appear on planet Earth. We moved from single cell organisms to complex organisms, which eventually create the ways for like jellyfish and amoebas to amphibians, which eventually lead the way to things like the dinosaurs and mammals. And there's all these processes that have to happen in there for this to even work out in any way, shape, or form. And that happened 600 million years ago. Divide that by a billion, that happened, I'm already messing up my math, seven months ago. Then you're going to move forward in time a little bit more. An asteroid hits the Earth, destroying all of the dinosaurs, which makes way for the mammals. 65 million years ago, divided by a billion. That happened 26 days ago. Move forward in time, and the hominins split from the chimpanzees. And for the first time, we have anything that resembles what a human being may look like. And that was 7 million years ago. 7 million divided by a billion. That happened 17 days ago. Right? So now we're 17 days ago. I'm already messing up my math, but we're going to figure it out eventually. Whatever. Doesn't matter. You get the point. Homo sapiens appear on planet Earth 200,000 years ago. So anything that actually looks like us, because something that was interesting to me in the process of trying to understand all of this and how does this actually fit with the faith and a world and an understanding and a paradigm that I had is that Homo sapiens are on planet Earth now, but when we were on planet Earth, there was other things like Homo erectus and Neanderthals. There was a series of pygmy-type human beings that lived in like Indonesia, right? There was a whole other type of Homo something that lived in, in what is China now, and those species are no longer on planet Earth. Side note, funny story, one time Brittany got an email that just said Homo. Right? <laughs> I don't know why I just thought of that. And they were not talking about Homo erectus or Homo sapiens. I just remember when she got the email and she saw the title and she said Homo. I'm like, I bet you they're not scientists, right? That's not what they wanted to talk about. Was it? No? They had some other ideas on there, yeah. About where people were going to heaven or hell or not. That was really fun. That was a great subject line. I'm glad that we thought about that. So that happened 200,000 years ago. Divide that by a billion. That was 100 minutes ago. Right? 10,000 years ago is the end of the Ice Age. After the end of the Ice Age is when we see the first uh, existence of farming that's going on in the world. That was five minutes ago. Fast forward a little bit in time, 5,000 years ago is when we have the first civilizations on planet Earth. And human beings are able to connect together and share ideas and feed each other in a new way that we're just moving towards new paradigms at an incredibly rapid rate compared to what we have seen in history so far. That was 2.5 minutes ago. 2,000 years ago, we have the Han dynasties in the Roman Empire. We have Jesus walking the earth. Divide that by a billion. That was one minute ago. It wasn't until 500 years ago, right, that for the first time on planet earth, Homo sapiens knew about other Homo sapiens on different continents. For the first time, we understood that there's a world that we're connected with and that there's been people all around the world who we never knew before and that this thing is all coming together in a new way, right? That was 15 seconds ago. 200 years ago, we got fossil fuels, and because of fossil fuels, we moved into the industrial age. And because of the industrial age, we're now able to feed people. Where it took 90 out of 100 people before to feed planet Earth, now we need one out of 100 people to feed everybody. So that frees us up towards education and thinking and how we do culture and the role of women in the world, and you name it. It changes everything that we understand about the world. And we're able to move forward because we have more space and time and energy to actually think about these things, right? That was 15 seconds ago. 50 years ago, we got into the Great Acceleration where somebody landed on the moon and for the first time in history, we were mapping something that was not our planet and we were actually 
going there. Divide that by a billion, that was six seconds ago. And 10 to 15 years ago, we have technology where you hold something in your phone that has the internet and social media. And where three billion people on planet Earth today are instantaneously connected. Divide that by a billion, that was three tenths of a second ago. It's mind blowing. The world that we live in. It's like, if that, that doesn't like put joy in your joy box, like, I don't know what does, right? Like, that is some exciting stuff. I'm, like, that was the huge history of the cosmos, and at every turn, we're moving from an old paradigm to a new paradigm. At every turn, we're transcending what was before, we're including it, and we're going to something bigger. And this is always true of the story of Jesus and resurrection. This is always true of the story of Jesus and when he heals people, is that Jesus is not just healing these people for the sake of a medical miracle. Jesus is healing these people so that they enter into a new paradigm about how they live as human beings on planet Earth. That should get you excited. And so why that gets me excited is that the universe is always doing this. The universe is always finding a way forward. The universe itself, which should be moving towards entropy, which means it should be moving towards chaos and death and disorder, for some reason always finds a way towards life. And if that is true about the universe, then the fact that we're even here today, that's true about our individual lives, right? It's true about the reality that Bill is not dead in Vietnam right now, people. Yes. That's, thank you so much, Bill, for not being dead, right? That's amazing. <laughs> That this thing is moving forward and life continues to find a way. But what I love about this story is not only that life finds a way and that God has a part in it, but that I think that God actually cares about life finding a way and moving forward. You can choose the 20th century model and say, well, it's just chance. These things are just, you know, kind of happening on their own. But at the end of the day, whether it's science or religion or spirituality or whatever, no one's got a better answer on the why. All that we know is that life is finding a way forward. All we know that is that life is finding meaning. All we know is that there is energy and resources in the universe that are moving towards the complexity of like things like our consciousness and our brains. It's the universe is saying, I love complexity. I love diversity. Life is at its finest when it is doing those things, not when it's regressing and being conservative and, and kind of minimalizing and putting things in boxes. That the universe gets excited about us progressing forward, that Jesus is resurrecting us into these new types of paradigms. And some old paradigms just need to be let go. Roseanne Barr. <laughs> Roseanne Barr tweeted last week this horrible tweet. Muslim Brotherhood and Planet of the Apes had a baby and equals Valerie Jarrett, which was one of Obama's um, aides. She's an African-American woman, one of his top advisors. Um, and originally Roseanne didn't apologize for this. And then she's like, oh, I wasn't trying to be racist there. Really? What part of it do you not see as racist? Um, and this is me not picking on her. Me, this is me saying there's a reality on planet Earth right now that says tribalism and nationalism is okay, and we can say whatever we want to other human beings and limit their existence and their meaning and their being. Some things just got to die. Some things just got to go by the wayside. And the universe always moves in a direction of inclusivity and progress and growth in life. And voices and narratives that limit and exclude and create tribalism and tell some human beings that they're less than others just don't work anymore. And how do I know that? Because that's the kind of world that Jesus is inviting this resurrected boy into. That's the kind of world that Jesus throughout his entire ministry and all of Luke's and into Acts is saying, when you encounter me and when you experience me, you're going to be people who bring life into this universe. And there's a practice that has to go on here. That if you're encountering and experiencing this more inclusive, this bigger reality of what God is and what God can be doing, then you actually have to practice that reality and live it out. 
Because the truth is, some of us can have some of these big, like, awakened moments. I know that I did it a million times. Every time I went to summer camp, I raised my hand. And in that moment, my life was forever going to change. And then I got on a bus and I went back home and my family was still there, right? Or whatever was still there. And so what we do a lot of times as people is we can have these big, amazing moments where we see that there's a new paradigm out there that I can fit into. But the book of Luke and the book of Acts is always going to invite us into a practice of figuring out, now, how do you actually make this new paradigm in this life stick? And part of the way that you do that is that you're not just trusting in your encounter and your experience. That's why the Gospel of Luke is filled with endless stories about Jesus healing people. The passage that Brittany is going to teach on next week is John the Baptist sending some disciples to Jesus and saying, like, are you the Christ? And Jesus is like, is the evidence there? Are people being fed? Are the blind seeing? Are the dead being raised? It's not just one or two of you that are having experiences. It's that this whole universe is singing aloud that I want you all to have life and to move forward, right? And as you experience that life, whatever that new paradigm is, live into that thing and practice that thing and share that thing so that other people around you can live into that. And that together we'll create a new paradigm together. Together we'll create a new reality together in which all of these things can work together, right? Where we can have a bigger understanding and view of the universe that actually makes sense. And so I want to end by talking about some bears in my orange huffy. There's a guy named Jonas Elrond. He has a show on uh, Oprah's network, OWN. And uh, he was doing a documentary on bears, not the growling kind, the like gay kind. And uh, he was doing a documentary on bears in San Francisco. If you don't know what bears are, Google it, and, you know, or find someone in the room. They'll be happy to tell you. And uh, he doesn't drink, he doesn't do drugs, he's just a documentarian, he doesn't believe in God. And he's in his hotel room getting ready to go out to do his documentary that day in San Francisco. It says, a portal of light opened in my room. And for the next eight hours, I just sat there and watched beings of light walk in and out. And after that moment, I said, I think there's something more going on in the universe. I'm going to stop doing documentaries on bears, and I'm going to start doing documentaries on what was that? (laughs) Right? Somebody had an experience. They open up to a new paradigm. That's not a Christian experience. That's not whatever. But for me, I'm like, that's somehow, it's, it's a God experience. It's a spiritual experience. It's a, I don't even know what you call that thing. All I know is that somebody out there experienced and encountered something that was bigger than themselves. And he said, I tasted of something else. And I'm going to go live my life, practice my life in a way that changes how other people can taste or experience whatever that thing was as well. I remember being seven years old on my orange huffy and riding it through the streets of Chandler, Arizona, and I had this moment where I feel like I was like touching the divine as a seven-year-old. And I'll always remember that moment. I'll remember exactly where I was on Oleander Drive and what that fence was like. And in that moment, I knew with a shadow of my doubt in my life that God loved me and knew me and that my life was about that thing. I don't know what all that was as a seven-year-old. I just remember like I was alive. It's like I could see something in a different way as a seven-year-old. And for whatever reason in my life, my whole life, that thing is just there. I just experience and encounter that thing. I'm not saying I need to prove it to anybody. I'm not saying that I have scientific evidence for it. I'm not saying whatever. All I know is that I'm standing on this stage today because I believe in that thing. That thing expands and it grows and it changes for me every day. And it always leads to more progress and more inclusion, but it's never changed. That life finds a way in this universe. And it's not just random chance, but that this life is moving forward in this universe and that there's care and that there's compassion, just like Jesus in the story to the widow of like, don't cry, that there's a God who's actually engaged in the bigger story of this world, that new paradigms are unleashing in front of us all of the time. And how do we practice and live into all of that? That gets me excited to live every day. That gets me excited to wake up and it gets me excited to be a part of a community like this, which I know that I'm not doing this alone, but that we're doing it together. Let's end with a question. 
What new paradigms are you moving into? And how can you continue to practice these paradigms? Find two or three people around you. Enjoy. Thanks for listening to the New Abbey podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.